Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. Today is episode 281, and we are going to take a look at what is called the Williams Act. Now, before we dive into that, I just want to let you guys know I have been gone for probably it's almost 10 days now. Haven't looked since the last time I posted on my podcast, but it, it's been several days. And the reason why is because my internet has not been where it needs to be in order to do these podcasts and to have excellent service and to have a excellent show. So as I've said in times past, I will not post something if it's not 100%. And if I'm not happy with it, I scrap it. So that's kind of what's been going on, and Internet does matter. So hopefully uh, the Internet will improve more and more but not be stalkerish. So I'm all for very much wonderful technology, but there is a point to how wonderful something is. That's just kind of how I view it. But anyway, my apologies for not posting more often, but one of those things, if you don't have Internet, then it makes it very difficult to do your job in our day and age, uh, at least here in the United States. So again, we are taking a look at what is called the Williams Act, and the long title is an act providing for full disclosure of corporate equity ownership of securities under the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. It was enacted by the 90th United States Congress. It took effect July 29, 1968, and it has about 15 titles that have been amended and there have been some court cases in regards to different things that this has affected so let's go ahead and take a look at this puppy here and once we go over this I think if you're new to this podcast you will see why an act like this directly impacts our labor and our wages you know when I first started this podcast initially I was only I was only going to look at labor unions and trade unions that was my number one goal and it still is we do still look at those things But here's the thing. There's so many other things that impact our labor. So many things. And so I always like to make sure that first and foremost, just in my daily life and how I, I go about my career, that I am aware of things and that I understand how things impact my labor and my wages, especially since I am a, a uh, entrepreneur and a company owner. And FYI, if you hear some funky noise, I am out of Sonic. So... Metasonic, and I guess there's some trucks coming and going, so it's kind of making sure my car is not poking out. It's not, but sometimes drivers can be a little crazy. But anyway, um, we go over these different things because, first of all, it's important to know. Number two, knowledge is power. That's probably number one. And number three, so many things impact our labor and our wages that we do not always realize. And I think it's one of those things that we have a responsibility. If you're age 18 and over, you are a legal adult, at least here in the United States. And it's very important for you to recognize that you are an adult and that you have, you have rights and you have workers' rights, especially here in the United States. Now, eventually, once we go through all this legislation and all the labor unions, we will talk about other countries because there's so many other countries that – They try and glean off of the United States, and they try and, I guess, mimic or replicate what we have, but no one has ever really done it. And the reason why is because no other country is truly free like we are here in the United States. And, and that's their own fault for doing that. There are so many countries, they want the money, 
but they don't want to give their citizens real freedom and true liberty. They don't want a real democracy because if they have a real democracy and a real capitalism, then their government will not have as much control over their citizens and that's that's why so many of these countries are not as successful as the United States. In fact, the United States, we are number 1 for a reason. And it's a good reason. And the number one reason is that we are one nation under God. How many countries do you know that actually believe in God? And when I say God, I'm talking about the God of Abraham. So there's so many countries that their citizens either they're not allowed to practice any sort of religion at all, or if they do have religion, many citizens choose to be atheists. And I to a certain extent I understand why, but on on the opposite side of that coin, I should say I don't understand why because I know that for me personally whenever I'm having a tough day I go to the God of Abraham with anything and everything. Like I would rather go to my heavenly father than to people. Because people they people can be fickle. That's just kind of how it is. And so I've learned that it's better to go to your heavenly father first. And I'm not saying that human relationships are not important. They are. But I'm saying that your relationship with your heavenly father is way more important than any other relationship that you could have in your life. So needs to say there are so many countries that they 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 look at the United States as kind of their personal little slush fund and that's not what we are. That's why I'm not a fan of the United Nations or NATO or some of these other things because they just use us for our money. But when it comes down to it, they're not really there for us if something were to happen. They mostly rely on us because stuff is always happening with them. You know, like we're having to send military aid to all these different countries, and I don't agree with that. Now, I do understand that we have allies and things of that nature, but I personally don't like being used for my money, and I don't like my country being used for its military. I personally think that if someone can't really defend themselves, then they they kind of need to recognize why they're not being able to defend themselves, and the only, um, I would say. I want to say excuse. Um the only exception to that rule I would say is Israel. And the reason why I say that is because first of all I'm Jewish, number 2, Israel is right smack dab in the Middle East. And Israel has just been getting pummeled and unlawfully so. And what's really sad to me is how many people are actually for Hamas and these other groups ganging up on Israel. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. just the amount of human rights violations that have occurred over in the Middle East so it, it's kind of like i found this to be odd i was thinking about this the other day i know this is slightly off topic but it's kind of a irrelevant recent thing that's been going on i find it to be very hypocritical whenever people complain about human rights violations in other countries especially in the Middle East but then when it comes to human rights violations that are taking place in Israel because people are attacking and murdering Israelis oh that's okay that's fair game that's not a human rights violation they automatically side with Hamas or with Palestine and they don't really care about what happens to Israel it's like okay if it's a human rights violation to kill someone that is in Palestine then or a civilian I should say cuz Hamas is also in Palestine but what I'm saying is that if it's wrong to commit a human rights violation on this side of the fence then it's also wrong to commit a human rights violation on the opposite side of that fence 
Because I thought we were all supposed to be on the same page in terms of humanity and fight against terrorism. But it just seems to me like sometimes whenever Israel gets attacked, it's like, oh, they're fair game. Why? Because they're Jews. That disgusts me. That absolutely disgusts me. And Palestine is not completely innocent in this. They are not. So, FYI, be aware of that. But let's go ahead and take a look at the Williams Act here. It says the Williams Act, this is in the United States, refers to uh, 1968 amendments to the, to the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, enacted in 1968, regarding tender offers. And that's not tender as in the app. <laughs> We're talking about money and currency.、Uh, the, the legislation was proposed by Senator Harrison A. Williams of New Jersey. The Williams Act amended the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934 to require mandatory disclosure of information regarding cash tender offers. That's very smart. When an individual group or corporation seeks to acquire control of another corporation, it may make a tender offer. A tender offer is a proposal to buy shares of stocks from the stockholders for cash. Or some type of corporate security of the acquiring company. Since the mid 1960s, cash tender offers for corporate takeovers have become favored over the traditional alternative, the proxy campaign. A proxy campaign is an attempt to obtain the votes of enough shareholders to gain control of the corporation's board of directors. I have heard of some situations, however. Where there have been some shady things going on with takeovers via a proxy campaign in regards to shareholders. So I think there can be shady stuff in any realm of life. But what's nice about this act is that it's trying to make sure that if somebody is going to acquire a corporation, it needs to be on the up and up. It can't just be sleight of hand. It can't just be, oh, Completely anonymous, and yet the United States has no clue what's going on with a particular transaction. No, there needs to be clear transparency. It needs to be obvious. It needs to be legit. It needs to be honest. And it needs to, you know, basically the, the two parties that are exchanging monies and, and corporations or mergers, whatever the case may be, they need to have integrity and their companies need to be stable. Now, I will say this there are some times that companies purchase unstable companies and that's to try and save them. That I understand. What I don't like is whenever someone will purposely buy a company just to put it out of business and to suck it dry of its money. I can drop some names on that that I know people have done that. I'm not going to do that in this episode. We will circle back to that. Because I think that is a very horrible way of doing business because it has cost people thousands of jobs here in America and millions, if not billions, of dollars in revenue. So there unfortunately can be greed whenever someone is taking over another company. And taking over another company isn't always a bad thing because there is risk and there is financial loss and sometimes there is financial gain. What I don't like is whenever someone does something like this with ulterior motives. Or with an extremely bad motive, and it's not for the promotion of America, it's not for the stability of our economy, and it's not protecting the workers. That's the thing. Because both you and I are workers, so it's very important that our labor is protected. And I don't mean like from a union point of view, because unions tend to keep really bad people. I don't like that. 
unions tend to act very much like the federal or state government or any kind of public um, agency or public employment. It's very difficult to fire bad people. I am all for firing bad people and doing so immediately. Like I don't put up with people's shenanigans or they're unlawful or unethical or even they're just um I don't want to say moody behavior but just passive aggressive and they're kind of sabotaging the team. I don't put up with that. I very much value camaraderie and I make it very clear what I expect from my employees. I make it very clear because I think that as a manager and as a CEO or just an entrepreneur in general if you don't make it clear what your expectations are that's when you're opening a floodgate to some really shady people um you're opening a floodgate to them doing really bad things in your company or with your company and then who's left holding the basket with all the eggs in it you are because you're in charge you are the leader so if you're going to be a leader you need to lead and i've learned over the years i'm i'm naturally blunt anyway and i don't mean blunt in a negative way uh, not by any means that word blunt has been used i think inappropriately or maybe um uh, misguidingly i i'm very blunt i say it like it is i lay it on the line i'm very common sense i'm a very down to earth person but there's some people that whenever they are constantly living in the gray area of life and they don't want people to know the truth They don't like people like me. And so then they say, "Oh, well, you're too blunt." It's I'm and I'm thinking, "Well, you know what? You're not honest." Which means you're dishonest. So if I had a choice between working with someone that's blunt or dishonest, I choose blunt every single time because blunt people just like me, they say it like it is and they don't put up with other people's Um, I was going to say crap, but I'm trying to work on my language, so I don't put up with people's horse manure because that's what it is to me. If someone's going to try and pull stuff, they can keep their horse manure on their farm. I don't want it in my house or at my place of employment. I just don't care for that. But anyway, it goes on to say because of abuses with cash tender offers, Congress passed the Williams Act in 1968, whose purpose is to require full and fair disclosure for the benefit of stakeholders or stockholders, while at the same time providing the error and management uh equal opportunity that doesn't make sense oh offer sorry <laughs> i was thinking errors and omissions insurance my brain is elsewhere while at the same time providing the offerer and management equal opportunity to fairly present their cases that's very important because it needs to be fair i think we can all agree that if you're just only hearing one side of the argument that's that's a very unfair case or a very unfair argument just in general because you're not getting all the facts. What's interesting, side note, a lot of people don't know this is that that is exactly what happens in terms of of unfairness whenever people are indicted for a crime. Why? Because prosecutors go to a grand jury, not a jury, but a grand jury. At a grand jury, the grand jury hears nothing from the defendant or from the defendant's attorney because they haven't been charged yet. So all this grand jury is hearing is whatever the cops or the prosecutor presents. So there's no self-defense. I disagree with that completely. Completely. Because I think if you're only hearing one side of the argument, I mean the odds of you agreeing with that one side are pretty high if you're never hearing the other person's side and and if you're not hearing the truth. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that all cops and all prosecutors lie, but 
there have been some problems in our justice system. And that just, it just bugs me. It really bugs me because I do not tolerate dishonesty. I just do not. I cannot stand it. I'm not friends with people that are dishonest. I call people out on their dishonesty. It just really bugs me. And what really sucks, what I don't like about our justice system is that grand juries are very much a part of the injustice that is taking place in our country. But what is sad is that most people that are participating as a juror in a grand jury, they, they don't really know or understand the process. And so they, they don't really have a clue, unless they've researched it like I have, that a grand jury, you're not going to get all the facts. And the person that is being accused has no way of defending themselves. That comes later when they get arrested or they uh, actually have a trial. So it's kind of like, okay, you know, we could totally stop these stupid cases and protect innocent people if people were just able to defend themselves. Regardless of where they are in life, they need to have the opportunity to defend themselves. But that's not always the case. So just FYI, be aware of that. And if you have ever served on a grand jury, you have my deepest sympathy that you are not told everything and that you are not told the truth. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Because before researching a grand jury, I had no idea what the process was like because I've never actually served on a grand jury. And even if I had served on a grand jury before researching this, I probably would not have known. I probably would have suspected something was a little off just because of the way my brain thinks about things, like in terms of legality. But I would not have had a clue. So I, I would have been very ignorant. So I think we need to do a better job just in general of not being ignorant. I'm right there I'm right there with you guys. Like I was just kind of surprised at how much I did not know about our court system. <laughs> you know, you think you know a lot until you're either A, totally shown up, or you're just completely wrong about something. So it's just kind of a, I guess it's just an eye-opening experience in life. But that's what life is about. You know, it's about learning and growing and being your best. And that's always a good thing, right? So it goes on to say the act requires any person who makes a cash tender offer, which is usually 15 to 20 percent in excess of the current market price for a corporation that is required to be registered under federal law to disclose to the Federal Securities and Exchange Commission, also known as the SEC, the source of the funds used in the offer, the purpose for which the offer is made, the plans the purchaser might have if successful, and any contracts or understandings concerning the target corporation. An example of this would be Elon Musk when he purchased Twitter. The SEC and probably other um, agencies put him through the ringer. Put him through the ringer. And I know that sometimes Elon Musk, he gets targeted by the government for just stupid stuff. I'm all for rules, laws, and regulations that, that protect people and the public. But I think... What all Elon Musk had to go through, I, I kind of felt like was a bit excessive. And I think the reason why it was excessive was because of the amount of money in the company that he was purchasing. Because I believe there were many people that did not want Elon Musk to purchase that company. They didn't want him to have access to Twitter because he believes in freedom. He believes in the freedom of speech. Now, mind you, he's kind of a liberal and he is a Democrat. But in terms of this company... 
I found it to be very interesting that you know he was very much calling out Twitter before he bought it that hey you're blocking people that shouldn't be blocked and you're making it so that people don't have freedom of speech and he very much called out Twitter several times and and times past letting them know hey you're violating the constitution of the United States because you're blocking people from speaking freely that is a constitutional right to speak freely so you know god bless Elon Musk for calling out Twitter and purchasing it I just don't always agree with how he's a liberal and a progressive sometimes and how he's a democrat because I think I think it's kind of hypocritical in my personal opinion to be a democrat but yet also be a capitalist because you can't be both you can't be both like if he were 100% democrat or 100% liberal or 100% progressive then he would not believe in making money unless it was someone else's money But Elon Musk, my personal opinion, I mind you I haven't met him or anything, don't know him personally, but I mean I think it's obvious that he's a very hard worker. And he expects a lot out of his employees. Well, that is a entrepreneur, that is a capitalist, that is not a democrat, but unfortunately, because he's born and raised in South Africa, I think that's where he gets his kind of liberal progressive kind of thinking in regards to voting democrat cuz he did vote for Joe Biden that's what he said in an interview I'm like how dumb can you be to be wealthy to own several corporations and yet be a democrat like he knows what the federal government is like like the federal government especially with government contracts he knows what kind of hell he has to go through to land a government contract or to be under government scrutiny so it's kind of like you know If if you are successful, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. But sometimes I feel like that's what Elon Musk does, and I don't think he always sets the best example for young men in so many different ways. But anyway, that's just my personal opinion. But it goes on to say filing and um, public disclosures with the SEC are also required of anyone who acquires more than five percent of the outstanding shares of any class of a corporation, subject to federal registration requirements. Copies of these disclosure statements must also be sent to each national securities exchange where these securities are traded, making the the information available to shareholders and investors. The law also imposes miscellaneous um I guess restrictions on the mechanics of a cash tender offer and it imposes a broad prohibition against the use of false, misleading or incomplete statements in connection with a tender offer. So basically, if you're going to be dealing with a lot of money and buying or selling a company, you better say it like it is and have all your cards on the table. Like this is not a time to have a poker face and to be dishonest. Of course, you should never be dishonest. You should never um play poker in a, a dishonest manner, not not by any means, but, but but what I'm talking about here is that sometimes I know sometimes in business you don't say everything because you don't want your your competitors to to see your hands so to speak like you don't want them to see what cards you're playing that i understand but this is not what it is talking about what it's talking about with this act and this law is that you cannot provide false misleading or incomplete statements in connection to a tender offer in regards to purchasing or selling a corporation because you're not just competing with a um, a competitor in this you're actually acquiring or selling a company 
So your cards should be on the table because you're you're dealing with first of all a lot of money, and also you're dealing with the Securities Exchange Commission. Like it's one thing if you know,、um, let's say for example you're going to an interview. Obviously, the employer doesn't want to pay you pay you as much as what everybody else is, but they don't want to show their hand. Just like you don't want to show your hand in regards to maybe you went to a subpar. I don't mean this negatively, but say for example you didn't go to a private school, and you know that that that、uh, basically that the employer that you're interviewing with that they prefer people that have gone to private school. Well, you still have to put the name of your college on there, but you don't have to go into detail about whether or not it's a private school or public school. I mean, it's so it's it's one of those things that. You are conveying information, but you're holding back a little bit. You can't do that with the Securities Exchange Commission. Obviously, this is more important than which school you went to. But I'm just trying to give an analogy of how to best how best to describe this. Excuse me. So it's very important to just say it like it is, especially when you're dealing with a government agency because you're dealing with legal documents. So that's always、um, I look at it this way. I always try and look at everything as okay. It's going to be on the up and up. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that everything is is clear, it's precise, it is legit, and I don't want any problems. Like I'm a stickler. My brain is very much it very much thinks like an auditor because I've worked as an auditor. I've worked on several projects with that. So I, I am dotting all the i's, crossing all the t's, and then I'm going back and double checking things. And I'm very picky about things. Well, guess what? Being picky like that saves you from lawsuits. It saves you from problems because you're doing everything you can to say, "Hey, I've done everything I can do. I've been upfront. I have been honest. Here it is." You know, because people can't argue with you when you're honest and when you just say it like it is. So that's why the way I live my life is everything I do, I do with integrity. And I don't change that rule for anybody or anything. I just don't. It goes on to say the law gives the SEC the authority to institute enforcement lawsuits. I don't blame them. It says in recent years, as complicated forms of derivatives bearing upon but not actually constituting corporate stock have become common,、um, interpretation of the Williams Act has become tricky. I don't think it should be tricky. Um, you just need to not look at it as an interpretation. You need to look at it as a law because it is a law. See, this is what happens whenever you get too many attorneys or lawyers involved in rules, laws, and regulations because they they like to argue. And the reason why they like to argue is because it's to puff up their own ego. It's like everybody's a peacock and they want to strut their feathers. Well, that's not how you write or implement or protect or enforce the law. It's not about Who can puff up the most, and who has the prettiest feathers? It's about is this being done correctly each and every time. It's kind of like what I've talked about in times past, where there are some people they constantly live in the gray, and and they don't want people to know what's going on. That doesn't fly here. That just doesn't fly. And here's the thing: the more we as a society tolerate. All this living in the gray area, the worse our laws get because they're not being implemented and they're not being honored, whether at a state or federal level, and that has been a tremendous problem, especially out in places like California and New York. 
And I love those states. I love you guys. You're one of my favorite listeners because I know you guys are really suffering out there. But here's the thing. If you want to make things better, you need to vote better. You need to vote better. You need to vote out the bad people that are for all this wokeness, this uh, progressivism, this liberalism. Basically, you need to go with good old-fashioned Republicans because they don't put up with this stuff. They don't. I know there's some listening that may not agree with this, but I'm telling you, Republicans, we we fight for workers' rights way more than Democrats because we do not live in the gray area. We do not. We think very black and white, yes and no. And I can always tell when someone is not a true Republican or a true capitalist because they're not living in that black and white, yes and no uh, way of thinking. They're living in the gray area. Well. You can't run a company or a country by living in the gray area. You have to have definitives. You have to have goals. You have to know right from wrong, and it has to be obvious. It has to be definitive, and that's basically what our court system is supposed to be. But right now, our court system and our justice system, it's not always definitive. And that's a big problem. And the reason why, you might be asking, why is it not definitive? Well, because our court system has become basically like law and order, the the original series, where lawyers just want to yell at each other in the courtroom. I don't have time for that. I think it's a waste of my brain space. Lawyers waste so much time, and the reason the reason why is because they know they can make more money if they drag out a court case. It's almost like divorce court. There's a reason why people end up paying each other. In terms of spouses and ex-spouses um, in divorce court, because it's because of their attorneys. I'm not saying that they don't have problems in their marriages, but I'm just saying that divorces need to be short and sweet, to the point, nothing dragged out, and that's it. But unfortunately, there's so many attorneys they purposely drag out a court case, whether civil. Or divorce, or family law, whatever the case may be, they purposely drag it out so that way they can charge more and more of their hourly fees. That is greed. I'm totally against that. Now here's the thing: if an attorney has to work extra hard on your case, I get that they should be paid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about shady people, shady lawyers, that they purposely drag out a case just so they can make money. You know what that would be like? That would be like if you had to undergo emergency brain surgery, and instead of the brain surgeon going in there and doing his job and doing it well, he puts you in a coma for like a week or two, and he just continuously works on your brain for like a week or two. That's dumb, right? Very stupid, and you would probably die. Well, that's the kind of stupid stuff that is taking place in our court system. It has no place in our court system. And it needs to stop, but here's the thing: it's not going to stop if we elect bad people to all these different public official positions. It's just not going to change because the odds of very arrogant, greedy lawyers and sometimes judges, but mostly lawyers, the odds of them changing is going to be very low unless they have a come to Jesus moment. That's between them and God. Truly is, and what a lot of people don't know is that many,、um, I would say, many judges, they're 
I'll put it this way. We all want to think that judges are great because you want to think that, hey, we, we got the cream of the crop here. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. That's not always the case because every judge is a lawyer. So that means every judge has been to law school. And here's another thing. Every judge, they pretty much know every other attorney or every attorney in their county or in their district. Like these people are usually chums because they're all a part of the American Bar Association. So whenever there's this bantering in the courtroom, it's not like it's really real. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's, it's just, it's just kind of for show. But yet it's always someone's life on the line, whether they're going to federal, uh, federal prison or state prison. So needs to say, we've got some things to work on with our court system because there there's so many injustices that have been taking place and that are still taking place. And here's the thing, this Williams Act, it does just that. It tries to prevent bad people from doing bad things. But in regards to buying or purchasing or selling a company under cash tender circumstances, that's the thing. And we needed that because just think about it, if the Congress... I recognize that there's a problem in the 1960s. Just think how bad that, that problem was. So just FYI, be aware of that. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think of anything else. Well, list off related legislation. Some of these we've already taken a look at, but we will um, go over those at a later date. But that is it for today's lovely podcast. Uh, it's good to see all of you again. It's good to um, continue the show. And hopefully we'll, I shouldn't say hopefully, I will have amazing and better internet in the future. <laughs> so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not a worrier. Um, I just like things to work. So that's just kind of how my brain is. But anyway, um, I will go ahead and leave it there for today. But as usual, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye.
down without a 